0: I'm really excited for the word tonight. I think it's kind of fun. Um, Are you guys ready to receive the word tonight? So I don't think that that we have church and and each of us not be able to grow and each of us not be able to grab something new, and I believe God has something for every single one of us. Uh, The title of my message tonight is Behind the Scene, talking about the manger scene, that as I was praying this week about, you know, what do do I minister this week? That's not just another Christmas message. I'm not sure exactly what to do. And I was praying it out, and I'm like, how did the scene become the scene? how do we, we get to the manger scene? And um, it's so easy. How many of us know that it's so easy that we can see the scene of something, but behind the scenes is a completely different story, that we can see a production of something, but behind the scenes is different. And I was thinking about even church. Like most of us come, and we're here for like an hour and a half or two hours, and we, there's some good music. We get dinner. We uh, get a good word, and then we go home, and that's kind of the, the scene that, that is portrayed, but what goes on behind the scenes, um, I get to see a bunch of it, is that we have schedules that go out three months ago, and then we have the, the lights, they were here painting all day, and Brandon's been working on the lights and to even get the sound to work, and the worship team is here in the middle of the week, and children's classrooms are being set up, that there's a whole lot that goes be, behind the scenes, but then there's a purpose that we're here every week too. The purpose is that we grow together as a family, that we to a family training center that everybody's ministered to, that we're growing together, but then we're reaching outside the walls of our church. And so the purpose is always there as well. So I, I took that same idea and I go, what was the behind the scenes of the manger scene? What brought us to the manger scene? And to start that, I kind of want to just take a minute to kind of lay a foundation, because I think that so many times the busyness, so many times the circumstances that we face, the situations that we face, make us forget just how big our God is, and just that he's still on the throne, that he's in control, and we forget that factor so often, so I kind of want to lay a foundation here of just how big and immaculate and amazing that he really is, and then we'll kind of go forward and take that into our our message, but if we can turn to to Job 71.7, I'm sitting up here worshiping, and someone comes and hugs me, and I'm like, mom, like I thought she was on stage, and Crystal is home from Kuwait, just showed up, (laughs) She just wanted to hear me, so she just flew down. <laughs> Job 11, sorry if I said something different because my notes look like 71, there's no such thing. So Job 11, 7, my bad, and it says, can you search out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol, what do you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. It's like, you can't measure God. You can't put a number on him. You can't, you can't measure what he's going to do. You can't, there's nothing. You, we can't search the deep things of God, that he is so immaculate. And if we can go to Psalm 40, verse 5, I'm just going to look at a few scriptures here. I just want to lay a, a foundation. And if nothing else, I mean, this was encouraging to me today that I went, man, God is just so good. And he's so big. But Psalm 40, verse 5 says, Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works, which you have done. And your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. That is thoughts towards us. And us as individuals, too. That I go, my God's thoughts towards me, I can't even number what he thinks towards me, let alone everybody else. The, the immaculence of God. I just want us to grab hold of that before we go forward in it all. And then uh, two more. 1 Corinthians 2.9. It says, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. I want to read that one again and just grab hold of that. L- listen closely and just imagine your God and how big he is. When it says, I has not seen, nor ear heard. We have like Facebook and social media, like it's pretty hard not to see or hear things. So I go, that's a big God. It says, no, I have seen, nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. I work in children's ministry because their imaginations are fantastic. I mean, we can take like spaghetti noodles and shove them through a hot dog and put them in some boiling water and tell them that they're eating octopus for dinner, and they believe you. Okay, their imagination is fantastic. You guys are like, boring, okay? I love it, but if I look at this and it goes... It says, it, or nor entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. We can't even imagine what he has in store. We can't imagine the plans that he has. Can't imagine it. That's a lot. So let's go to Isaiah 55.8. Are you guys getting this picture? Because, I mean, we could just start in Genesis and read the rest of the way through. All right. 55 8 and it says for my thoughts are not your thoughts nor are your ways my ways says the Lord for as the heavens are higher than the earth so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there but the water or but water the earth and make it bring forth a bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater and then this part is key in, in where we're Headed, but it says, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. That's just amazing to me how big God is. One, I can't imagine what he has in store. I can't imagine his plans. I can't even number his thoughts towards me. I can't imagine all of his thoughts towards me. But then, past that, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, everything that God sets in motion. It can't be stopped. It cannot return to him void, and it will accomplish and shall prosper in the thing in which I sent it. It can't be stopped. So are we all on the same page that, one, we serve a great God, but two, God's word cannot return void. God's word cannot be stopped. So what he set in the motion, whether for my life specifically, whether for us as a group, whether for our church, whether for our family members, whether what was set like way ahead of time, it can't be stopped. It's going to accomplish with what God sent it to accomplish. So, it's very important foundationally as we, as we move into my actual message. Um, but, so, behind the scene, where did the major scene begin? If you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it walks through our typical major scene. You know, the angel came to Mary, and then the shepherds came, and the wise men came. It, it talks through that. But then I get to John, so if we can flip over to John 1, and John seems to have a completely different idea of where everything began, which is kind of cool because that's what I wanted to study. So in John 1.1, instead of talking about Mary, instead of talking about the angel, instead of talking about the shepherds and the wise men, John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing that was made was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And then if we can skip down to 14, And it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten Father, full of grace and full of truth. This is where he thinks the story began. He said this wasn't, the start of it wasn't the baby in a manger. The start of it wasn't that God decided one day, I think Mary should have a baby. The start of of life, the start of Jesus coming to earth says it it was clear back in the beginning. And when you study this out here in, in John 1, It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning. So who is He? If you study out this Word here, the Word, Word, it actually is Jesus Christ. So in the beginning was Jesus Christ, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing that was made was made. So Jesus was in the very beginning, that He didn't just appear on earth one day that from the beginning, that he was the word, that from the beginning, this whole thing was planned. So this changes how we look at the Bible. This changes everything, because that means that God had orchestrated an entire plan for this baby to come, for the word, the living word, to dwell among us, way, way, way before time began. And the other cool part of this is that, again, his word doesn't return void, that it's gonna accomplish what he sent it to accomplish. So clear back in the beginning, God sent this word, he knew Jesus was gonna come, So John was absolutely right to say, no, no, it didn't start at the manger. It started way ahead of time, and everything that led up to that was orchestrated perfectly by God to get us to where we're supposed to be. And so the entire Old Testament wasn't random stories. Sometimes we look at it and we're like, yeah, there was like this random guy named David, and then there was Joseph, and then there was Ezekiel, and then there was some like Zerubbabel that we like to say in children's (laughs) ministry. Um, (laughs) There's some random people in there. They're just random stories, but it's not. Because when you take those random stories and you put them in a picture that they were divinely orchestrated by God, that every single one of those things was divinely set in order so that we could get to the place where the living word of God could come and dwell among us, and it makes perfect sense. That if you look at the lineage of Christ, you go through kind of the big names of the Old Testament, that's our lineage of of Mary and Joseph. That's our lineage of Jesus himself. That's where it came from was all those random stories put together because God spoke it ahead of time. Because God spoke it before time began, that this was already set in motion. So when we get to this manger scene, I mean, that's like our Christmas Eve service. Some people might find out the Christmas Eve service is that day, but we've known about it for a couple months. We already set that baby in motion like a long time ago. It's been coming, and we've been planning it. But then some of us might find out that day. Well, now you all know, so shh. shh. Okay? but it was already set into motion. We already knew that it was coming. Just like God already knew. He had divinely orchestrated this. But here's the cool part. That still applies to us today. Life now is already divinely orchestrated by God, and everything that is going on, he's going to use. It says that he will use all things for our good. He works everything according to our good, and that he's going to move it forward. That still applies today. And we're going to get to the manger story, a little bit of it anyway. But I want want to lay the foundation that God is bigger than what we can ask or imagine. And it doesn't all have to do with us. I look at Mary and I go, Mary was a very key player in this story. But on the grand scheme of things, it's Mary. So she's huge in the story and her part is very pertinent. Just like each and every one of us, very pertinent part to play. But on the grand scheme of things... God has already orchestrated this before time began. And I think about our services here, and I think about all the volunteers that serve on a a daily level. And we have children's ministry in classrooms completely staffed. We have ushers. We have people working the overflow. We have greeters. We have sound people. We have junior high, high school. I'm probably forgetting somebody, but you're important. Um, There's lots of people that serve here on a weekly basis, on a daily basis. Okay. But here's what happens. Sometimes we look at it, it's just, it's, it's one usher that didn't show. It's one usher. We don't realize what a huge hole that leaves everywhere on the, the whole picture because one usher is so important. But on the grand scheme of things, we go, we had like 77 or 78 volunteers show up tonight. That's pretty good odds, but that one usher plays such a key part. So do we see how the big picture and the small picture go together? God spoke everything into motion to begin with. Jesus didn't just appear one day in a manger. This was set into motion before time began. Then we have Mary and we have Jesus. But Mary played just as an important role. But then on the grand scheme of things, it's still all working together from the Old Testament all the way through. Does that make sense to everybody so far? Okay. Um, I want to read a couple things about the word here. When received, God's word of promise will never be barren. The power of his word will always fulfill the promise of his word. And God's word cannot be barren or fruitless. His own life and power is within it. It's God's word. It's not just a scripture. It's not just something somebody said. But it's life-giving. It's the very life that now lives on the inside of us because of Jesus coming. It's the very life that it can't be barren. And when God spoke it, it said it's going to accomplish what it's meant to accomplish. So now we'll actually get to a little bit of the Christmas story. But we're still behind the scenes. So Mary... Mary's like has a whole different scene of life in her mind right now. She's engaged, so she's getting ready to get married. So her Fridays consist of like say yes to the dress on TLC, followed by some homework on Saturday. Okay, that's what her life is made up of right now. Okay, she's planning this whole wedding thing, picking out her flowers, her colors. That is her scene right now. Okay, baby, not her scene, complete opposite. Okay, so she is in her scene. Sometimes we can, we can build a scene of life. This is what my life's supposed to look like. This is what my life looks like now. This is what, what my life is supposed to be. I, was never, I, I, I never wanted to be in this place. I never wanted to be in this position. Okay, we can build this scene of life of what we think it should look like, of where we're headed, what our family should look like. But then an angel showed up in Mary's scene. Sometimes the word shows up in our scene, but in any interruption, really, of our scene, because God will work everything to our good. So any interruption, um, if we're listening, we'll get to that in just a minute. But Mary has this whole scene set up, and an angel shows up. So if we want to flip over to Luke 1, we'll start in 26. Again, God's plan was already set in motion from the beginning of time. Okay, Mary is just finding out. Like, you know, when your kids are like, oh yeah, hey mom, I invited friends over tonight. (laughs) That's what Mary feels like right now, okay? Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man who was named Joseph. Of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, an angel said to her, rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at this, saying, And considered what manner of his greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said Uh, to the angel, how can this be since I don't know a man? Okay, I'd say that's a logical question of everything she could be asking right now. She's like, I was just planning my wedding, like we haven't even washed our clothes together yet, and I'm going to be pregnant? I'm confused. Okay, (laughs) she obviously knew anatomy. And then it says, and the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And then it says, Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be unto me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Okay, Mary asked one question. I like details a lot. So I... I would need a list of explanations for this situation, and probably some disclaimers and such. I don't, one question, like she's a teenager to begin with, and now all of a sudden an angel, this plan's already been set in motion, and he didn't really come to ask her, like, hey, do you want to have a baby? It's like, guess what? <laughs> You're pregnant, okay? He just kind of came to inform her. He didn't really ask her. And Mary's response, she's like, how, though? This, this doesn't really make sense. That's her only question, her only question. And then I kind of wondered why they put that verse 36 in there, like just randomly the angel's like, oh, yeah, don't worry, because it makes it feel better. Your relative's pregnant, too. It'll be fine. It's a family thing. We hear it's contagious. <laughs> That's not why it's there, <laughs> Okay. I would put it there for that reason. Like, feel better. Everybody's dying. You'll be fine. But No, that's not why it's there. It's there because she is asking. She's probably a little fearful about what's going on. She probably doesn't understand. And what God wants to tell her here is, is this angel wants to build her faith a little bit and goes, no, remember Elizabeth? She was supposed to be barren and she's having a baby. It's a miracle. It's, it's not this random thing, but this is a miracle that you don't understand you're giving birth to the Son of God. And it says that, um, for with God nothing will be impossible. So he's, he's building Mary's faith, because faith comes by hearing and by hearing the Word of God. And we're going to get here in a minute where it says, he who has an ear, let him hear. And Mary really did hear. And, um, and I want to make sense of this part, but when we, back in John, when it said in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, that word, word, we translated it to Jesus Christ, but the kind of word that that was, was the Logos word. And that is generally known as the message, basically. So this is the message of God. When she answers here, and she says, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be unto me according to your word. That word, word, is actually a rhema word, which in our terms, that's how it actually applies to you. That's what God is actually speaking specifically to you. And so it took what God had already said in motion, that word that was already coming forth, that we know is sent to accomplish everything that it's supposed to accomplish. And then he goes, but hey, this is how it specifically applies to you. And that's the same way he'll work with us is that he's already set everything in motion. He knows the beginning from the end. It's already been spoken. It says he's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And that we know that his word won't return void. We already know this part. Everything is already set in motion. But then when we surrender ourselves and grab hold of what God wants to say specifically to us, that's a Rhema word. And that's where it can grab hold, and that's where it can take seed, and that's where it took seed in, in her heart to go, No, this is what God has for me. Let it be according to me. Or let it be done according to me, according to your word. Let it be done to me. And so it's not just God has this plan and we need to jump on board that. God has a specific word for each and every one of us in carrying this plan, in carrying out what he wants to accomplish. He doesn't want to do it on his own. He can do that. We all know that. We just talked about how immaculate he was. He wants to partner with us and the purpose of sending Jesus is so the living word could be here as an example for us. So then that we could watch Jesus and we can go, man, that's, that's the living word of God. And he's on earth and now we, he inhabits us. But then in the same way that God wants to partner with us to carry out his plan that we can get this same rainbow word I mean, I don't think anybody's gonna get pregnant, so don't freak out, okay? I don't know. If I could talk really fast like Jill, I would go through this whole thing of all the side effects. Pregnancy might be one of them. But it only happened to Mary, so we have pretty good odds. Um, But God has a plan, and he set it into motion, but he has a specific word for each and every one of us. And Mary here, she grabbed hold of what God wanted her to know. She took hold of, yeah, let it be, let it be according to your word. I want that thing that you say, which concerns me, that it's that specific thing, that God's plan is still going forward. The angel didn't have to explain all the details. The angel didn't have to explain every little thing that is moving forward. She didn't need understanding of everything, but she reacted in faith, and after, for God, nothing will be impossible. And she's like, why not? Why not? God's big enough. He sent an angel to talk to me. Why not? Why not? So that's her response. And then down in 45, it says, Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Blessed is she that believed. Can we reach reach out and grab that? Even though you're a he, blessed is he that believed, you can believe too. That we can reach out and grab hold and go, I believe that word that you're going to tell me. I believe in that that word that, and Mary didn't know what she did here. Mary thought she was, you know, I'm going to have the son of God. That's probably pretty big news. But Mary didn't know what all was about to take place because of her surrender and because of her obedience. She had no idea what had just happened in the history of life. No idea. And I wonder, the simple act of obedience, the simple act of surrender because of one word of God? Look back in the Old Testament and I look at Moses. One word of God with obedience and surrender, what took place? I look at David. I look at Abraham. I look at Esther. I look at Daniel. The list can go on and on and on and on. That one act of obedience, because of what God spoke to them individually, changed history forever. That it set into motion heaven on earth. And the same thing just happened to Mary. That she said, okay. She responded in surrender. She responded in obedience. And now life would change as they knew it. Because of her surrender. Because of her obedience. On the grand scheme of things, God's like, booyah. Still working. But on the little scheme of things, Mary's like, a little overwhelmed but it's okay. We can get through it. I want to look at, um, we can go to Luke 8.11. I want to look at the kind of, Jesus talks about the word being, being planted on good ground, and I want to look at the kind of ground that Mary really was when she received the word. In 8.11, it says, uh, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear, then the devil comes and takes the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believed for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked out with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on good ground are those having heard the word with a noble and a good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. If you look out at all the different translations, one of them says that they, they grab held and, and believed the word, which is what we just learned about Mary in previous scriptures, that it said that, that she believed, the ones that believed the word. and up above it says, um, in verse eight, "He who has an ear, let him hear." That was the verse that I was talking about, that the ones that truly grab hold and hear what God is having to say, but truly hear in faith what God is saying, not just here where it's going to be stolen. Because here's some things, if, if I studied all of these out, and basically in summary, verse 12, when it said the one's by the wayside, and then the devil comes and takes it away, it's because the word wasn't received based on not being able to have an understanding. Our desire to have an understanding will delay the destiny that God has in store for us. We don't need to understand every little detail and every little thing that comes our way. We don't need to understand why things are moving the way we are, why God has asked us to do something that if we understand everything, there is no reason to believe in him and have faith. Mary didn't have any understanding. Mary said, I'm going to grab hold of what God has for me, whether I understand it or not. She did. She asked one question. I ask more than that on a daily basis. She asked one. That was a very life-changing circumstance. But one question is all she asked, but it was because she wasn't worried about her understanding of the situation that she was going to grab hold of in faith what God had already told her to do. And then in uh, verse 13, it says, uh, but the ones on the rock are those when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while, but in the time of temptation fall away. The word wasn't received based on their comfort. The word wasn't received based on their personal comfort. This, this would probably cause me to be uncomfortable. So I think that, that I probably don't want to sign up for this. This would cause me to be uncomfortable. The next one, it says that now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with the cares and riches and pleasures of life and bring no fruit into maturity. That Yeah, I heard the word, and I want it to apply to my life, and I'll carry it out until it's inconvenient until now I see something better, until now I see something that seems like it has more temporary value than that word that God gave me. See, Mary didn't respond in any of those ways. Mary didn't respond based on understanding, not on comfort and not on convenience. But she took the gift, of the word. She valued the gift of the word over her convenience in the situation. She was going to have to explain it to Joseph. She was going to be looked down upon. She was going to have to change her entire realm of living, her life, how she lived, probably the people she hung out with. Probably everything in her life was changed because of one word of God. And she chose that I will value the word. I will value the gift that God gave me over the convenience of what I have and the convenience of my situation. And if we would take that and go, I value the gift that God has given me, I value the word, the plans and the purposes that he has for my life over any convenience, over any understanding and over any comfort, we would live differently. We would see God work differently on our behalf because Mary, that's how she lived. Mary was like, I don't care how uncomfortable this makes me. I choose to value the gift that God has given me. But so many times, if we look at this story, I look at this story and I go, that could very easily we look at it and we go, Jesus, Jesus is coming to earth. This is a happy day. This is a happy thing that's happening. Jesus is coming. Of course, what an honor Mary had. Like, why did, why did she get to do it? Why did she get picked to be Jesus's mom? But I wonder how many of us, if that same situation was true today, go, I don't know, that way too much effort for me. Let somebody else do it. I'm serious. It sounds funny, but I'm serious. Let someone else do it. I'd have to change everything. I don't want to take the time to explain that to who I'm engaged to. And I spend all this time on TLC, and my wedding is planned. And I don't want to mess up those. And I already have, like, the sweet cruise honeymoon thing planned and ready to go. And that would mess up all of those plans. Let someone else do it. So I feel like that's what we do with the word of God today. Is so many times we go, that's a really cool thing that God is asking me to do. I'd rather someone else do it because I would be too uncomfortable. Because it would be an inconvenience on who, what I would have to change in my life. That I would have to live different. I would have to talk different. I'd have to maybe check who I'm hanging around. I would have to maybe check what I'm doing at work. I'd have to be in some, accountable in some areas that I don't want to be accountable to. I would have to live differently. And that's an inconvenience to me. So God, let someone else do that part. Mary didn't. Mary grabbed hold and said, no, I'll do it. Let it be unto me. Mary didn't know what she was about to let loose. And I wonder what we would be able to let loose, what God wants to do through our lives if we would truly grab hold of what he had and go, no, at any cost, I'm going to let this. You you do what only you can do, that I surrender and I will obey and I will take what you've given me and I'm going to walk in it. If we would grab hold with that, think it would change the way God could work on our behalf. But we can't be worried about comfort, can't be worried about convenience, and we can't be worried about our understanding of every situation. But we react, react in obedience and we react in, in surrender to our God. Um, I just want to make sure that I got all these pieces here. Yeah. Okay, so back to our our big picture behind the scenes. I said that there was always a purpose that we had church. We never just have church to have church. So what was the purpose that Jesus really did? Why did he come? Like the manger scene is really cool and it's a cute story, but why did he actually come? How does it affect us? And we just talked about a little bit. uh, The spoken word is already there, but in Luke 2.10, and you don't have to turn there. I can just read this quickly. But the shepherds, um, an angel shows up to the shepherds and he said, do not be afraid For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. And we read in the word that it's God's will that all men be saved, and that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That the purpose of this was that all people, all people, all people, doesn't matter where they came from. I mean, we look at the lineage of Jesus, and it's like prostitute, murderer, drunkard, anger. Like, the list is endless. And here's my theory. You know the PK kid thing? Like, oof, pastor's kid. Good luck with that one. God was like, we're going to do the opposite. We're going to put the craziest line of people and then get Jesus, because we can't have him in a line of priests, because he would be a PK, and that would just ruin everything. That's what I'm convinced his plan was with this whole lineage idea. So, I'm not one of those. Don't judge. Yeah. So <laughs> let's just, let's just, but all people, all people, that all people would come to the knowledge of Christ, that all people would know him. That was the purpose of Jesus coming. That was the purpose of him, the living word of God being here on earth, was that all people, it doesn't matter where we came from, it doesn't matter what our, what our family life is, it doesn't matter how many mistakes we made, it doesn't matter, all people That was the purpose of Jesus coming. And then in, uh, let's go to John 1.12. So we remember that Jesus, in in talking to Mary and in the angel talking and explaining all of this, we know that he was born of blood and water and spirit, correct? That he was the son of God. Now I wanna read in uh, John 1.12 and 13. It says, but as, as many as received him To them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, there's that believe word again, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And then later on, uh, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he's talking about the new birth. And he says, just got to read it right here. Uh, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Okay, so Jesus came. I just want to draw a parallel here. Jesus came, and when he was on earth, he was born of water and of spirit. Correct. We all on the same page with that? Okay, but this tells me that the new birth, that because of Jesus, because when I receive salvation, that I am no longer... Just born of flesh, but I am also born of spirit. You guys agree? Okay. Do we see the parallel here? Jesus came so that all men, so we no longer are, are solely born. Okay. The difference between Jesus and everybody else on the planet at that time was that he chose to live as a child of God because he was truly a child of God, because he chose to walk spiritually minded. Correct? Okay. So who his lineage was really didn't matter. And if you don't study it out, nobody ever really knows. Right? So for us, when we get saved, when we receive Jesus, is when we believe we are no longer just born of water, but we are born of spirit as well. well, Correct? Okay. Which is the same situation we just set up with Jesus. So would it be fair to say that we have the choice to limit what God wants to do in our life based on our fleshly lineage, the worldly desires, or choose to live our lives according to a son or a daughter of Christ. Because we now are born into the Spirit. Do we have that choice? Do we see why Jesus came? Yeah. The same factor here that goes, okay... I no longer have to live according to the world. I no longer have to live according to worldly desires. I no longer have to live according to who my family was and be controlled by all of that. I am a child of God because now I am saved and my bloodline is literally a child of God. That I no longer have to live according to the flesh. In Galatians 5.17 it says, uh, walk according to the... Walk according to the Spirit, and do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, so you not do the things that you wish. That walk according to the Spirit. So we have a choice, okay? They war against each other. But we now, because of Jesus coming, because of this whole thing set in motion, we now have the ability to live the life of a child of God. We now have the authority of a child of God. We now have the heavenly perspective of a child of God, that we can see things, we can hear things. It says as as spirit can communicate with spirit, that we can truly, truly hear the voice of God, that we have the ability to walk and see things how God wants us to see them, that we don't have to live in response to the worldly things that are going on. We can live according to how God has set us to live way before time with his spoken word. Does that make sense? So we can live completely different. We can live completely set apart not because of anything we did, but because Jesus came, but because God wanted a relationship restored with him, that we can live completely different. And it says that all who believe became children of God. So Jesus walked as a child of God. Um, Satan's, Satan's goal in life is to keep us at a place that makes us feel like our sin disqualifies us from answering the call of God in our life. Okay, that's his goal in life even though we know Jesus died for sin. He died so that our sin has no control anymore, that I can truly live as a a child of God, regardless of my sin, regardless of my past, regardless of anything, because Jesus died, because of the blood of Jesus, because of the grace of God. We know that, but Satan wants to keep us in a place that uh, you're, you're inadequate. You'll never do what God wants you to do. You can never answer the call that God has on your life. Look at your family, look at all this. Do you want to know why Satan did that? This is the coolest revelation to me today. Because... What originally separated Satan from God was his sin, and he is eternally separated. So of course he's going to use that against us, but Satan is not a child of God, nor is he an heir, and we have that, and he doesn't. But he wants to keep us at a place that we believe my sin separates me, my sin, I can't ever get to what God wants me to do, I can't ever accomplish what God wants me to do, and Satan wants to keep us in that place because he's eternally separated and he wants us at his level. Satan isn't a child of God. Satan isn't an heir. Do we understand that? We would live differently if we understood that. I don't think you're getting it, okay? Good gracious, okay? I I want us to get this. This is huge. Satan can never be a child of God, which means Satan never has authority over your life unless you walk according to the world instead of according to the Spirit. He can never have control over your life. He can never have dominion over your life. You have authority over him because we are now born not just of water, but of Spirit as well, meaning that we have the living Word of God on the inside of us, that Jesus walked and dwelt among us, but now he lives on the inside of us, and we have authority over him. And so he can keep us in this place of sin to say... I I don't think you can do it. I think that you guys that your sin will separate you from God. You're not good enough. He can continually put those lies. We're, we don't live according to that system anymore. We are a child and we are an heir of God. But if He can keep us from that, that's what that's why He wants us because He's eternally separated. His sin separated Him, and now He's jealous of us. So that's a lie. Don't let that be the case. That Jesus came. This this whole picture here is is. The reason Jesus came is so that we could be and live with the living word of God on the inside of us and live in power and live in authority like Jesus had on his life and God gave him. Does that make sense? Okay. Um. So many times we try to serve the Jesus of the cross without the Jesus of the cradle. Okay, I'm going to explain that. So many times... We try to serve the Jesus of the cross without the Jesus of the cradle, meaning we all want to go to heaven. None of us want to feel bad about our sin. And so, yeah, I want the Jesus that takes my sin away and I want the Jesus that's gonna let me go to heaven. But Jesus came as a baby first Jesus came as the living word of God first to live out a lifestyle that is set apart, to live out a lifestyle that honors God, to live out a lifestyle of doing everything that it says that he is the living, breathing word of God, that everything that God said, he goes, I don't, I don't speak the word unless it came from my father. That he was constantly in prayer, that he was the living word of God, and he lived a lifestyle set apart for God, answering what God had on his life before he ever died for our sin. Before he ever did that, and we so many times will go, yeah, I don't, I don't want to worry about my sin. So I want the God that forgives me, and I want the, the God that's going to let me go to heaven. But I don't necessarily want the Jesus that will make me live differently. I don't necessarily want the Jesus that will make me live set apart. I don't necessarily want the Jesus that I, w- I would need to, s- to speak the things that God would want me to speak and do the things that God would want me to do that would make me care about the other people in my path instead of just me. We don't want that, Jesus here's one of the ones that makes us feel better. That my, my sin's forgiven and I'm going to heaven. And I was talking to my dad before service and I said, it's, it's almost as if Jesus lived from the cradle to the cross, but we live from the cross to the cradle. That Jesus lived his life and died so that then we can be sons and daughters of Christ, but then we need to live out that life. That we need to live out the life with the living Word of God on the inside of us. That we live set apart. So Jesus didn't just come. This entire, entire picture that God set into motion so many years before. This whole scene, this manger scene that we see, is so much more than just a picture. It is the Word of God that was spoken way ahead of time. That is still being carried out because He's not finished. He's not finished. It says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. When Jesus left, he said, greater works than these you will do. He's not finished, which means his word is still in motion, which means that just like Mary, he still has a rhema word for each and every one of us to carry out so that he can unleash heaven on our behalf as soon as we obey and as soon as we surrender to what he has for us. The other thing about Mary that I want to point out here, I, I thought was really, really cool that she didn't just have the baby in okay, God, he's all yours. Here's your son of God. She raised him. She was there for his first miracle. She lost him. Just saying, don't leave without Jesus. (laughs) Go where he goes. Okay. She lost him. She was there when he was crucified. And this I learned yesterday. Mary was in the upper room when the Holy Spirit came. That she was there through the entirety, that that word that God gave her, she saw from start, and she stayed there, and she stewarded it to the very finish. That she stayed there the entirety of that time. That we can't just take a word and go, God, answer this word. Sometimes that word needs nurtured. Sometimes that word needs stewarded to before it's going to accomplish what it was sent to accomplish. And sometimes that's going to change us. That's going to challenge us in our walk that we go. That word that God gave me, that's going to cause me to make some changes. That's going to cause me to adjust. That's going to cause me to talk different. That's going to cause me to make some changes in my family, in my workplace. Because, again, it's not about convenience. It's not about comfort. But that word was sent to accomplish something, and God's going to let it accomplish. As soon as I surrender, he unleashes heaven on my behalf. But I don't know if it's going to come past tomorrow, if it's going to come past 10 years from now, when it's going to come to pass but I will steward that word from now until it's finish. When you we were talking about the, the good ground there in Luke 8, I just want to read this last part here to you again. It says, um, Having heard the word with a noble and a good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience, that she saw it all the way through she saw it until that fruit because we know that's why Jesus came and he said I'm going to send you a helper in my place and that Mary stayed that entire time and watched the full thing come to pass so if I can just encourage us tonight that God's word is still spoken we see how immaculate our God is We see how huge our God is. We see how amazing he is that not only on a worldly level but on a specific level that our God thinks about us as individuals, that God has a plan and a purpose for us as individuals and he has already set in motion what he needs to accomplish but he needs each and every one of us and that we would be in a place to go, God, I want that word that you have for me. I wanna live out that life that you have for me that use me and Mary knew that one word from a God or from God could accomplish more than what she could in her own strength in a lifetime. One word from God can accomplish more. See, and Mary didn't take that, take that baby and go, well, God gave me the baby. I'm going to raise him how I want. I'm going to scary Jesus. Okay? Mary didn't. Mary <laughs> served God. And Mary, daily, in, in a holy fear of going, well, how, what, I don't even know how to do this, okay, that That Mary was there and she committed to the process. And Mary was there to encourage and Mary was there to go, God, how do you want me to raise him? How do you want me to steward this thing that you've given me? So when God gives us that word, that we not only take it and go, I'm just, God, do with it what you want. But we steward it how God wants us to steward it. That we don't take that word and that thing that God said, hey, and we don't build a scene with it. Because we know what happens when we build a scene. Gets interrupted. That we don't take that word and build a scene of what we think this should look like. God gave it to me and this is what I think it's going to be. It won't work because nothing God-given can be man carried out by man. It has to be carried out by God the entire way through. Does that make sense? So in closing, it's all orchestrated by God. All we have to do is surrender. All we have to do is be obedient, surrender to God, surrender to who he is, surrender to his word, and go, God, let it be unto me. Let it be unto me. That if we would leave with that mindset to go, God has everything in control. He really does. Look at the the vastness of scriptures that we read. Everything, he has everything in control. There is nothing that he can't accomplish.